This past week, my wife and I finally were able to start the process of, of getting our Minnesota driver's license. Uh, now it's all online, so you got to go through some hoops and everything. You got to get proctored by someone who has already has a Minnesota driver's license. So we're able to, to finally start that process, and we passed. And I'm ashamed to say I passed by one <laughs> with one to spare. Uh, my wife did a lot better than me, which she likes to. Uh, well, not rub in my face, but just kind of show me up a little bit, okay? But in doing that, uh, we're going to have to go to the DMV here in town, and, and in doing that, you have to bring several official documents with you in order to prove who you really are. Uh, unfortunately, we live in a day where people have to uh, go through multiple hoops just to prove their identity. And some of, some of those documents, can, uh, as we were looking at them, uh, are designed to prove to the DMV that, you know, we're really David and Mary Fish and we live at such and such an address and in, in, in such and such a place. And we're doing that so we can get our driver's licenses and make sure that's all legal and everything. Well, just like identity is crucial to many areas of life, you, know, you need your ID to drive a car, you need your ID to get into the bank and withdraw funds, you need your ID to access uh, important papers. So the identity that we possess as the new man in Christ is critical to our lives as believers. We've been talking about that the past few weeks. Our, our identity, our, our place as a new man in Christ is important. And here, no less, we'll find another uh, description of that. My challenge to you this morning is that we need to put our identity as the new man into action. We need to put our identity as a new man into action. We don't need to just talk about it or theorize about it. We need to do it. You say, Pastor, what does that look like? How do I do that? What is is that in day-to-day life, what does that look like? Well, I would like to give you three guidelines this morning. Four, actually, sorry. Four guidelines on what that looks like for us. The first guideline I think we can see from verses 7 through the first part of verse 8 is that our associations are pure. Look at verse 7. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were once were darkness, but now are light in the Lord. Some of your translations uh, put verse 7 with the previous paragraph, verses 1 through 6. And, and that may be so. I think, though, uh, just looking at the text and, and working with it a little bit, I think verse 7 gets bumped down with verses 8 through 14. So I think those two go together. Now, arguments could be made for either one. But the point that Paul brings up is that the new man influences everything we do. Again, look at the word therefore. You've got to ask yourself the question, why is it therefore? Well, it's therefore because it links all the way back to four, chapter 4, verse 1. I beseech you, the prisoner of the Lord, to walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. The rest of the book is going to be a description of how that works out. And so Paul is reminding us that what he is speaking of is an outworking of the new man. I think also the word therefore points back to verses 1 through 6. 
where Paul commands his readers to not consider the characteristics of the former wicked lifestyle. And verse 7 completes that thought. So Paul said, okay, don't do this. You don't be, verse 7, for indication, all uncleanness, covetousness, let not it even be named among you. And so he's adding an extra admonition kind of to conclude the thought, which also goes with the next thought he's going to bring up. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. So he's wrapping it up by saying, believers, Christians, must not participate with those who are under God's wrath for their disobedience. An illustration I might use with this is, you remember as a kid, there would be times where you would be challenged, uh, encouraged to do something that you knew wouldn't please your parents if they found out. And for me, there was a lot of things that I was tempted or encouraged to do that I knew would not be pleasing to my parents. And that alone, perhaps, for you was sufficient reason enough to not do something. Maybe your neighbor, the neighborhood kids were going to go and, and uh, perhaps do something that you knew um, just wasn't quite what you needed to be doing. And so that was the motivation to say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. That wouldn't please my mom and dad. So the same attitude is for believers. You know, I'm not going to do that because that's not going to please my Heavenly Father. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. And what that, was the idea of do not be partakers with them mean? It, it, it means that the new man does not live like the old man. Do not be. The word be there means to, to come into a certain state or possess certain characteristics we're talking about uh, doing something or being something here in this context. So that's the preferred definition here. And we're not supposed to be like that condition. The new man is not to be like the old man, as therefore to act opposite of him. Paul discusses this in Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 14, where he's talking about the old man and the new man. Let me read just a few verses from those. That passage of Scripture, starting in verse 5, for we have been united together in the likeness of His death. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with Him. Knowing that Christ died having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the death that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have a dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. We're not supposed to be like the old man. That's, that's the past life. That life is dead. We are not the old man. And also, Paul adds in this idea of do not be partakers with them, that the new man does not participate with the actions of the old man. The word partakers here means to have a share with another in some possession or relationship. And the emphasis is is on joining with someone 
to do things that disobedient people do. We do not participate in those activities. If there's someone around doing something that God strictly forbids, whether it be going back to our list here in verses 1-6, through six, foolish talking, filthiness, coarse jesting, we don't, we don't join in with that. We don't accompany them in that activity. We don't indulge that wicked behavior. We have a, a non-participant attitude towards those things. Why? Because those things are under God's judgment. And because we're the new man in Christ, we don't associate with those things. This is where uh, disassociation or separation really comes into play. And then Paul gives in, in verse 8 a reason for this attitude, and that is it's because there is a change in reality. Notice he says in verse 8, For you once were darkness, but now are light in the Lord. Paul loves to use that phrase once. We've seen it before. Ephesians chapter 2. A former condition. Not only the word once, but the word, the verb were, past tense. Past actions. That was their lifestyle. The Ephesian believers were known for coarse jesting and filthiness and foolish talking. Being an idolater, unclean, covetous, but no longer. They have a different condition, but now you are light in the Lord. The word, the phrase in the Lord is designed to show where the light comes from. The light in the believer's life is not from himself, but is found in Christ. And this argues, quite frankly, against self-righteousness. The idea that, that you can earn your own way, that you can, you can be the light in the world today. Well, Scripture clearly teaches that's not so. Consider Luke chapter 18, verse, starting verses 9 and following, the, the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Notice how this parable starts out. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 9 of Luke 18. And also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Brothers and sisters, this morning, the light that is in us is not of ourselves. It is of Christ. So if there's a challenge here in this, this, this little phrase here, the challenge would be to reflect, reflect the light of God, not yours. You don't have any. The light that is in you because of, is because of Christ, and that is who you are reflecting. And that leads me to say, as we think about this topic this morning, by point of application, are you careful not to compromise your identity in your relationships with unbelievers? Listen to a couple of these verses in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? That is not who we are. Yes, we're sinners, and we had this discussion in men's Bible yesterday, Bible study yesterday. We are sinners. We do sin. We need forgiveness. But we're not to continue in sin. We're not to keep on sinning. We have the ability through the power of Christ and the light in us to not sin. But yet we're still in the world, aren't we? John chapter 17, verse 15. 
Jesus in his high priestly prayer prays this, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. We're, we're in the world today. We're, 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 our, our, our world around us is, is at times seems collapsing, it seems struggling, and we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We do not have the same mindset. We do not have the same goals. We do not have the same purpose. Our purpose is that of Christ. So I ask you this morning to consider your relationship with unbelievers. They're around you. You need to have um, relationships with them, whether it be in work or in the family, neighbors. You have relationships with unbelievers. I'm not saying you separate from them. I'm asking you, are you careful to not compromise your identity? You have relationships with them. Be involved with them. But when they do things that you know scripture, strip, script, yeah, scripture strictly forbids, say that five times fast, you know what forbids, are you avoiding it? Not in a condemnation fashion. You don't condemn, God does. But in the way it says, you know what, I'm not going to do that. You know, when a friend of yours starts, starts making fun of another person for their weight or for just some some part of their body or perhaps some characteristic that they have, do you, do, you, do you say, you know what, that's not right, I'm not going to do that, and maybe encourage them to not do that as well? That, that's, that's abstaining from that relationship. That's not being a partaker with them. That is what we are called to do as the new man in Christ. That's our identity. Are you being careful in those areas? Second guideline that Paul gives us for our new identity, putting it into practice, is that our lives burst with light. Verse 8, last half of verse 8 through verse 10. Walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. This is how we are to live. Again, we've seen this word before. Walk means to, 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 obey, to, to live, to conduct your life. And again here, it's a command. Not an option for us. Not a suggestion. Paul isn't saying, hey, this might be a good idea. No, this is something that we're to do. We're supposed to walk and live as light. As children of light. I believe this shows that living life as a believer is important. And it needs to be handled seriously. There are many Christians today who do not take the Christian life seriously. You see it on Facebook. You see it on um, other forms of social media. You see it perhaps in the community. They go to church one day and then the rest of the day they just don't, don't take obeying God very seriously. And it kind of leads me to ask this morning, by my of a minor point of application, are you taking the Christian life seriously? Am I taking the Christian life ser- seriously? When, I, when, I'm, when I'm in public and my two boys start to act out, the one more than the other, am I being patient with them? Am I being loving towards them? Or am I acting in a way that brings reproach upon the name of Christ? Am I not taking the passage of Scripture, seriously, fathers, love your children, discipline them, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You see, that, that's walking as a child of light. 
That's not taking, that's taking Christian life seriously in the commands of God. Are you doing that in your own life? Whether it be your workplace or family life or out in the neighborhood, are you, are, you, are you taking your Christian life seriously? Or is it something you just put on a shelf for the rest of the week and bring it back on Sunday? Paul continues on. And he says next that the standard of living is behaving like a child of God. Walk as children of light. The, the conjunction there as uh, means standard or manner. And we're told walk as the as a child of light, where Paul uses that word child to refer to the relationship between Father, the fa- Heavenly Father, and his children. It's it's a father-child relationship. He's our father, we're his child, and we react appropriately. And our standard is to reflect the light that we're a part of. We are children of light, and he is light. First John 1 John 1.5 says this, I read it this morning, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We are part of the light. Our lives are characterized by light. Therefore, we need to live the light before others. We're a child of the light. We have that relationship with the Father of light and we need to live like a child of light. That's our standard. That's, that's, that's the goal that we need to achieve every single time we go out the door or go to work or interact with our spouse or family members. We are to act like a child of light that we are. Also see from this passage of Scripture in, verse, in this verse, and actually dipping down into verse 9, that the fruit of walking in the light is beneficial. Now, some of you uh, perhaps have a King James or a New King James. I have a New King James this morning. And you'll notice in verse 9, it says, for the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, for the fruit of the Spirit. The translators looking at different texts have chosen this one. Probably based upon Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. I think, though, there, there's other textual evidence from this passage that would lead to that word spirit being better translated light based upon the context of what's going on and the fact that there are, I think, believe there are more evidences uh, grammar-wise, textually-wise for the word light being in here. And, and the reason is, brief Bible translation history lesson for you, um, when, when the Bible was being copied and copied and copied over and over again, you had one person standing up like I'm doing, and you had people copying different portions of Scripture as the main person was reading it. So as perhaps uh, people were copying Ephesians down, they would hear different things that the reader was saying and then copy what they heard. And sometimes what you found happening is they would hear one thing but then copy another. And I think that's what happened here. As the copyists were, were listening to the original manuscripts or copies of the original manuscripts being read, they heard something different and copied it down. So here, not that it make much of a difference, I don't think it does, but the, I think a better word here is the fruit of the light, or fruit of light. And, and Paul is using this to point to uh, the benefits of walking in the light. There's goodness. That's a positive moral quality. 
It's, it's goodness for the benefit of others. He notes the word righteousness, right living, right behavior, and truth. The light comes from the truth. The light does not come from a lie as darkness does. It originates from the truth. So you have, you have goodness, benefits for others, right behavior and truth. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? That is walking in the light. So if the fruit of the light, fruit of walking in the light, has these benefits for the believer, why do we go back to darkness all the time? Consider what C.S. Lewis, the, the great um, writer of, of, of so many different stories, um, Chronicles of Narnia being one of them. Listen to what he says about this idea of, of, of going back to the darkness when we're children of light. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. It's like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Now, How many times do you and I, knowing that the light is truth and is goodness, it is righteousness, right living before God, right behavior, we go the other way. We tend toward the things of darkness. We, we are far too easily pleased by coarse jesting, filthiness, fornication, idolatry. Some of you say, well, pastor, I, you know, I don't struggle with that. I don't, I don't I go back towards that in that way. Maybe you don't go to that extreme, but maybe you and I are more often tempted to twist our speech as the dark, darkness does. Maybe you and I are, are more tempted to look at things that we're not supposed to look at because the darkness says it's okay and the light says it's not. We are to walk as children of light. In doing so, Paul gives us a kind of uh, a qualifier to this, an a, a extra challenge, if you will, He says in verse 10, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. A child of the light carefully examines his life so that he may do or say what pleases the Lord. Here the word finding out means to critically examine something to determine genuineness. It means to put underneath a magnifying glass and see if it's it's worthy of, 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 of being genuine. It's testing something. And here it's testing things, actions, characteristics, ideas that are pleasing to God or not pleasing to God. And if they don't meet the standard, we get rid of them. Because we want to, to, to please God. That's the word acceptable. So what is Paul saying? He's saying that we as believers, as the new man in Christ, need to examine our actions and words for the purpose of weeding out those things that do not please God. How many of you are gardeners here? Anybody a gardener? Gardeners, a couple of us, okay. Um, my family, when I grew up, we, my dad garden, gardens and still does today. And oftentimes, we kids would get sent out to do the weeding part of things. Kathy's going like, uh, okay, all right. Weeding was not fun, let's just be honest with you. 
Okay? It's not fun. Because what do you got to do? You got to go out there. You got to take your hoe. You got maybe sometimes your hands. And you got to pick out the weeds that are, that are growing in the garden. Why? Because if you don't, then your garden's not going to grow. It's not going to produce. And sometimes what has to happen? You actually have to get on your hands and knees and pick the roots of the weeds out while being careful not to pick the fruit out that's growing right next to it, right? You have to be careful with it. And sometimes, let's be honest, I was just so done with it. I just kind of went and hacked up everything. Said, hey, I'm done. I'm on. Okay? You've you got to be careful when you're weeding a garden or else things are going to happen and you're not going to get as much fruit. And that's what we do when we evaluate our actions. We put them under the microscope. We put them, we are careful to pick out and choose what is pleasing to God. And what is the standard? It is, it is pleasing God according to His Word. So we're going through our life, we're picking through our life, looking at different things and figuring out, okay, is this pleasing to God or is this not? And if it's not, we get rid of it. If it is, we nourish it, we, we, we keep it. We ascertain what pleases God and, and, and we avoid those things that aren't and we engage in those things that do. So my question to you this morning by way of application again at this point, does your life reflect darkness or light? If we were to come to your house after church and we were to look and, and evaluate your life this past week, are we going to see light or, or are we going to see darkness? We need to see darkness, light, excuse me, and avoid the darkness because that is not who we are. We as a new man in Christ need to be living the light and reflecting God. And that's the question you have to ask for yourself. I can't come and rip open your heart and, and see what's going on inside of you. Only you can do that. that is, this, is, this is to be reflective of who you are and, and to be the guideline that you evaluate yourself as. Does your life reflect darkness or light? Third guideline that Paul lays out for us to put our new identity into action is that our actions shun wickedness. Verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Again, this is a command, not an option. We are to avoid, shun wickedness in all forms. The new man does not practice what is sinful. The word fellowship here means to be associated with. Not with, with the idea of doing it with someone, but doing it yourself. So you have this, this double admonition here. Don't partake with someone in doing those things and you don't do them yourself. Because it's really easy to, not, to avoid doing something with someone, isn't it? It's a lot harder to not do it yourself. Because nobody's looking at times. And so Paul says, not only are you to avoid practicing those things with other people, you don't do it yourself. This here emphasizes personal responsibility on the part of the believer to watch what they do. Those actions have no benefits. The word unfruitful means lacking benefits. Nothing profitable. The works of darkness carry no benefit for us as believers. 
Darkness is not part of who we are. That needs to be part of our thinking. When we think about light and darkness, we need to think about we need to be children of the light because darkness has no part of us. That's not who we are. Those actions do not have benefits. They are sourced in old ways. The old life, he says there, the unfruitful works of darkness. It's, it's what the believers once were, who we once were. And for the Ephesians, perhaps it's meant a little bit more than it does for us today. Many of them had left godless lives, having indulged in wicked conduct. Now they are light bearers, looking back on the old life and realizing how bad it really was, how dark it really was. And as the new man, they are not to have anything to do with darkness and avoid, therefore must avoid those activities at all costs. Paul, talking about associations with unbelievers, in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 says this, Do not be unequally yoked with, together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? The answer is none. So why are we doing it? Why do we engage in those things when it's not beneficial to us, it's not who we are. And it leads me to ask you this, are you constantly evaluating your actions to verify that they are beneficial and not a detriment? Are you doing what is fruitful or not fruitful? Beneficial, not beneficial. Encouragement, detriment. We need to evaluate ourselves and figure out what we're doing so that we can see, again, whether it pleases God or not, and also whether it's being a benefit to us. And that's a consistent process. That's an everyday process that we need to go through. Last guideline I have for you this morning that Paul lays out for us in this passage of Scripture is not only that our associations are pure, our lives burst with light, our actions shun wickedness, but lastly, our sins are confronted. Read the last part of verse 11 with me, but rather expose them. Verse 12, for it is shameful to even speak of those things which are done by them in secret. This is a contrast to not participating in sinful activities. So Paul says, rather than not do them, here's something you should do. Expose them. Instead of not doing the sinful activities, the believer is to do something about them. It's not enough just to avoid sin. You have to do something about it. Right? You can avoid sins, you cannot sin, but, but what happens when you do? You have to do something about it. Are you doing something about your sin, or are you, or are you avoiding the responsibility altogether? We're, we're all sinners. We all commit sin. And the, the, the first John lays that out for this. If we say we have no sin, we make him a liar. So what are we going to do about it? It's not enough just to avoid it. But when it does happen in our lives, what are, we going to do, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to deal with it? Are we going to address it? Or are we just going to leave it alone and hope it goes away? Because guess what? That's not how sin works. Sin likes to lay around. The devil likes to use those different sins in our lives to trip us up. So he's a roaring lion looking around, trying to figure out how he can trip us up. And the best way we can avoid that is dealing with our sin. Are you dealing with it? 
or just kind of letting it slide. Notice also that this means that the new man exposes sin in his life. The word expose means to criticize or to scrutinize or examine carefully. Now, now some might look at this and say that uh, the phrase, but rather expose them, means that we need to expose gen- sin in general. You know, whether it be in, in uh, social settings, in government, in political arenas. I, I think the context here means that the believer in Jesus Christ has an active stand- stance of bringing the works of darkness to light so they can be revealed for what they really are. And he doesn't do that just in, in public, and, and that's important. I, I don't think that Scripture doesn't say we shouldn't argue for truth in public. We should. But because the context is already talking about believers, I think what Paul is emphasizing here is that we expose them in our lives. Because again, we still sin, right? We still sin. So what do we do when we sin? We expose it to the light so it can be eradicated. Matthew 18, when Jesus is talking about um, church discipline, how's, how's he going about that? Listen, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother, or he's acknowledged his fault, and, and you've forgiven him. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. What is Jesus saying? If the sin is not brought into light, is not dealt with, there's consequences there. So bringing your sin into the light is what we need to do. Exposing it to the light. And that leads to, if we have that attitude, that leads to what Paul says is we take sin seriously. Verse 12, for it is even shameful to think of those things, even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. The word shameful means, again, to be socially or morally unacceptable. These things are so shameful that they have to be done in secret. That's telling, isn't it? Sin is so wicked that it has to be done in secret. So again, why do we go for that if it has to be done in secret? It just doesn't make sense for those who are children of light. You can't even speak of them. It, it, the, the things are so shameful that it is shameful even to discuss them. And Paul is saying, do you take your sins seriously? Do I take my sins seriously? And sometimes I don't. And so I come back to a passage like this and, and read and consider that I need to expose it. And if I'm going to expose it, I need to take it seriously. And bring it into the light so it can be dealt with. The new man brings his sin into the light so it can be confronted. Verse 13, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. The word manifest means to to be visible. Exposure to the light reveals, not hides. Darkness loves to hide, and there's no better place for sin to hide than in darkness. You remember the story of Achan? Joshua chapter 7? Remember him? They go into the city of Jericho and they defeat the city and things are uh, happening there. They're supposed to take all the spoil and devote it to God. It's for God's use. 
But it comes out that someone has done something wrong. Achan has taken what is forbidden. And what did he have to do to make sure no one knew? He had to hide it. In his confession, he says, it's buried underneath my tent. You see, that's what sin does. Sin has to hide. That's where it grows. That's where it's beneficial. And if we're going to get rid of sin in our lives, we bring it into the light. And that's painful. It's painful to bring it into the light. But guess what? When it got brought into light for Achan, it was more than painful. It cost him his life. Do we bring our sin into the light so it can be confronted no matter how hard it is? When the new man lives in the light, the light produces fruit. Whatever it makes manifest is light. 1 John 1.7, we read that this morning, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. Living in the light requires that sin is no longer present. So when we bring our sin into the light, it is dealt with, is exposed to it, the light exposes truth to us, and Jesus forgives us in the process. Now, verse 14 is very interesting. It, it seems Paul feels the need to end his discussion here on light with a hymn. That's what this is. Good, good, good Baptist. He ends with a hymn. Okay? It, it, we have this ancient hymn before us. It's taken from a couple of parts in the Old Testament. And the, the purpose of this hymn is to illustrate what it means to bring sin into the light. It's, it's like being raised from the dead. That's the idea of the word, you who sleep, arise from the dead. The idea is, is death. What happens when someone raises, uh, is, is awoken from the dead? They, they get up. They move around. They live. And Christ will shine on you, the last part of verse 14. I think the quote highlights that when you bring your sin into the light... Christ shines light on the situation so you can see it for what it really is. Darkness hides sin and muddles the waters as to how it operates. When sin is revealed by the light, darkness can no longer hide, and the true nature of sin and its consequences can be understood, confronted, and avoided. Do you see how valuable light is to your walk with the Lord to dealing with your sin? Men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Sin hides in darkness. Light exposes it. So that leads me to ask again, are you bringing your sin, no matter the content, into the light so you and the Lord can address it? Sometimes it needs to be done corporately. That's what Matthew 18 is about. But most often times, it needs to be done privately. Again, I will read to you 1 John 1, 8-10. But if we, have, we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. We still sin. 
But what matters about our sin is, are we willing to deal with it? Are we willing to bring it into the light so we can deal with it with the Lord? I encourage you this morning, brothers and sisters, don't hide your sin. That's easy. What is hard and what is more beneficial is when you bring your sin, no matter what it is, whether it's lying, whether it's cheating, whether it's coveting, whether it's being greedy, whether it's just being angry, whatever it might be, you will benefit by bringing it into the light and exposing it for what it is. Because when you bring it into the light, you see sin for what it is. It is ugly, it is wicked, and you need to get rid of it. Are you bringing your sin, no matter what it is, into the light? That looks different. That could be a public thing. That could be a private thing. Where you're addressing it with the Lord, and you're asking God for help, and and knowing that if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know He will forgive you. You need to confess. You need to repent and go on and live in light of that repentance. Are you bringing your sin into the light? That's where you find life, not darkness. Darkness hides. Darkness covers up. Darkness allows sin to prosper. Light eradicates sin. Are you bringing your sin into the light? Without identity, your abilities in life are limited. Can't drive a car, can't go to a bank, can't work a job. Without the identity of the new man, we as a believers will not function as God intended. It is imperative that we focus on implementing our identity into action. How do we do that? How do we implement our identity into action? We, our associations are pure. Our lives burst with light. Our actions shun wickedness. We don't do those things that are associated with the old life. And our sins are confronted. We bring sin into the life. May God help all of us this week and moving forward to be the new man in our actions, both privately and publicly.